Welcome to the B2B Marketing and Copywriting Podcast. I'm your host, Linda Malone, certified conversion copywriter, copy strategist, and founder of Copyworks. Join me each week as I speak with experts in the fields of marketing, copywriting, decision-making, psychology, and more, all with one goal, to help you attract your ideal customers and inspire them to take action. My guest today is A. Lee Judge. Lee is the co-founder and CEO of Content Monster, a digital content marketing agency. Focused on B2B marketing for over 25 years, Lee is a marketing practitioner and a creative content entrepreneur. So as a speaker, he provides training on digital marketing, content creation, and sales from a marketing point of view. And interestingly, Lee and I met when we were both speaking at a digital summit, and we'll get into that a little bit. He is going to talk about what do organizations need to better understand about content marketing? How do you get the greatest return on investment from your content marketing efforts? And even what are the benefits of a B2B podcast like his and mine? And how do you measure a B2B podcast? So we'll get into that and a whole lot more. So let's jump right in. All righty. I'm excited to talk to Lee Judge today. Lee, you and I met at a digital summit, I guess it was a couple of months ago now. And yeah. it was funny because it was just by coincidence and we started talking and we end up like, hey, I got a podcast. I have one too. And so, <laughs> so yeah. thank you for taking time to talk to me today. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Shirley. Yeah, this is going to be fun. One of the things I wanted to ask you about, we talked briefly before this call about like weird things we've done in the past. I told you I was a pastry chef. I was a personal trainer, which seems like a real conflict, which actually it kind of was. <laughs> but I think, you know, having a well-rounded and, and kind of a different background, there's always something you can apply to what you're currently doing. Now, you were yeah. an international DJ. So what's the difference between a DJ international? Is there like you were traveling the world as DJ? Yeah. And it's, you know, as I, I, I mentioned this in one of my keynotes a while back where I finally acknowledged being a DJ into my business life. Basically, you know, DJs have this, this progression they try to go through. They start off just like the bedroom DJ, DJing to themselves. Then maybe a high school DJ or a college DJ or whatever. And then you get, might get a nightclub. That's like the first win for a DJ to actually get a residence at a nightclub. Mm -hmm. uh, and then radio, I did that. So then the next level was either to go on tour with the artist or to headline outside of the country. And so uh, once I was able to get headlines, like with just me being the feature artist in nightclubs outside of the U.S., that's when I assumed the title of international DJ. Oh, I never even knew. Well, I was going to say I never knew people did that, but why not? I guess it's, you know, if you're traveling with yeah. other types of work, why not? With that? Yeah. So yeah. how long did you do that? So the international part, I would just say maybe four or five years before I semi-retired. Uh, uh -huh. But prior to that, I began DJing in high school. So I've DJed most all my life. It was always a business, though. It wasn't just a hobby. I always, I mean, I love, love music. But uh, I grew up in an entrepreneurial family. So it was always a business as well. Mm -hmm. And once I was in college, by the time I graduated, I had three DJ systems. So any given night... I would be in one club. My other guys would be in other clubs or or frat parties or something. So we it was a full blown business early on. That's cool. So I imagine there's some things that it's content. Music is content. I mean, before we even get into the whole content marketing, I wanted to ask you what because I've heard people talking recently about like what constitutes content. Like, what do you consider content? It, 
it's not everything, right? I mean, what is it as far as what marketers are doing with it? Well, I think it's any medium designed to communicate a message Mm -hmm. to someone else. So it could be written content, audio, video. If it's recorded, being written or audio, video, if it's recorded for the purpose of of someone else to consume, I would consider it content. Okay. Because I had someone ask me about that the other day, and it just seemed like an obvious question, but people, you know, sometimes we talk about things and we assume everyone knows what we're talking about and people don't always. So, And what is it that you think organizations, particularly B2B, need to better understand about content marketing? Because there's so much information out there. Today, I've been evangelizing that every company, even in B2B, especially in B2B, need to become a media company. They need to become the media company of their industry, the media company that that uh, is communicating to their prospective customers. Mm-hmm. Because the bottom line is the customers take their customer journey on their own for the most part. I mean, there's research that says 50, 57% of the customer journey happens before they reach out to a salesperson. And so that customer is consuming content and learning and researching all along the way. And so they're either consuming your company's content or your competitor's content. Mm -hmm. So that's where if the company becomes a media company and creates the content, educates their prospective buyer before the competitor does, they're at a huge, huge advantage. And do you think most companies are not doing it like Either they're not doing it much at all, or they're not doing it right or as well as they could. All the above. In fact, especially in B2B, you know, I, I was a marketing director for a long time in B2B. And what we would typically do before was we create a piece of content, put it out there and let it die mm-hmm. on to the next thing. You know, you produce a white paper, you do some press release, you put it out there and then a week later it dies. Even with video, you release, you make a video put it on the website, maybe YouTube, onto the next thing. There wasn't repurposing. There wasn't a, an ROI plan to make that content last for a long time. Right. And there also even wasn't the, the early work of why are we creating this content? Who is the audience for this content? Who should be involved in the content? How do you involve sales in there? How do you involve customer service in the content? None of that strategy was thought of before. And I think today... Businesses still do that way too often to mm-hmm. where they create content for the sake of creating content without a strategy behind it, without a ROI behind it, a plan for ROI, and they waste most of their efforts. Yeah. And then they wonder why, like, oh, we just put this out. We we do our, you know, we have a blog and why is no one going to the site? And they just, I was going to say they just expect people to flock to the site, but I don't know if, I think most people should know, even if they're not doing it, they probably know they could do a better job. Because it's a lot of work. I mean, taking you know a podcast or any piece of content and, and breaking it up and, and making it into you know into tweets and and making it into blogs and I mean that takes like for one you have to know what you're doing you have to know what your options are and then how to do it and usually you want to have help and if you're like I mean I'm just a lone entrepreneur I have people I can call in if I have you know a big project but for me to do all that myself is a lot of work. I mean, do you think that's what stops a lot of these companies from from doing it all? Absolutely. Because I had an article that I contributed to to CMI a few weeks, a few years ago, actually, um, the Content Marketing Institute. And the article was basically proposing a new or extended definition of content marketing, which Mm -hmm. is the work it takes to market the content. 
not just content marketing and sake of creating the content, but then once you have the content, how do you market that content? And that's where the real work starts. And most companies don't market their content. They create the content, they place it somewhere and let it die. They don't look at it as that content is a product. And once you have that product, how do you tell the world about it? How do you find out where the world is, where they're going to, to see your product, and how do you place it in their path? That's the content marketing part that most companies miss. And it's also harder and harder because everyone's trying to do the same thing. You're right. I mean, we yeah. all want to get out in front. We all want to disrupt everyone, stop the scroll. And that's just, we're so you know, used to just going through our emails and I don't know about you, but I like delete most of it because it's, it's either not for me or it's spam or it's just not something I'm interested in. And so we have to overcome all that noise. So, so how do you get like the greatest return on investment for your content marketing efforts? I think there's two key things there. First, before you create content, your strategy for creating that content has to include what does your audience need to know? I always encourage companies that I consult with to make sure the marketing team is in on sales meetings because when sales says, I have this deal working, but the customer stopped because of this, or I was on the sales meeting and they asked me these questions about our service or product, those objections, those questions are the exact things you need to create content for. Mm -hmm. Use those things to create your content based on what actual customers actual prospects said, not what your company thinks you may need to make content on, because often our companies have the wrong jargon. You know, we're thinking about our product name, our service name. Right. Maybe our customers talk about our product in a totally different way. So that's the first thing, creating the content in the language of and to respond to the customer. The second part is in terms of making sure it's in the right places is understanding where your consumer's consume their content and taking that language that they taking their own language that you put into your content and then putting it back in their pathway. Mm -hmm. So if they ask a question in their language, that question becomes a subject line for that email that you send right back to them. Yeah. Right. That way you have a better chance of resonating with them. So that's the thing front end, get it from the right place from your customers and prospects mm -hmm. on the back end take that content and put it in the path of all those places your customers may be. Yeah. And would that also include like knowing what the objections would be to somebody who is questioning your product or service? Like, well, I don't know. Like the biggest question people always have is I don't know if this is right for me because I do email marketing. And one of the emails mm -hmm. I usually send out is, you know, is this right for me? And then like, would that be part of that as well? Absolutely. And in fact, some of our, even our, our site, Content Master site, some of the best performing content are questions. And in fact, I noticed today, this has been true for about three years now, our highest performing article is what kind of content should we create? Oh, And yeah. it was not an article we thought a lot of at first. I mean, it was one of many articles we produced that month. And, you know, now we're going to go in and update it and make sure it stays at the top of the list. But it's simply a question that our prospective customers ask themselves. Now, we didn't realize it was a big of a question until now we're looking at two years of it being a top rated article, but evidently people are asking that question a lot. And so we focus on answering that question of what kind of content should you produce? And so every industry, every product or service 
their customers are asking those kind of questions, those questions that are frequently asked questions that they need to have content to answer those questions. And then once you answer the high level, go in deeper and answer even deeper. Like for us, if you say, you know, Lee, content master, what kind of content should we create? We're going to say, you know, depending on your audience and what you're promoting, it should be video, podcast, blog articles, et cetera. And then the next level will be how to promote your podcast or how to get ROI on your video. You go deeper, but it all starts with the person, customer saying, what kind of content should I create? So is there one, like, there's not really an easy answer to that, I imagine. So it really depends, it sounds like, on what the customer is going to respond to. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, that's part of the, it's just not just that article. We have several articles that kind of answer that question. And it comes down to, it is a big fat depends because you have to consider where your audience is. So let's say, for example, for one company, let's say they're a research analyst research firm. They may get away with doing white papers because their audience wants to, they're already at a stage where they're about to spend maybe hundreds of thousands of dollars on some direction. They want to know before we spend hundreds of thousands or millions on this thing, let me read the details of where the industry is going in this direction. That may constitute a white paper, right? Mm -hmm. So that company needs to create white papers. But if it's a case where their audience wants to know what makeup brand should I buy for my skin type, then you may want to look at TikTok, Instagram for people who are makeup experts who give you a visual of the thing they're selling. Mm -hmm. So what kind of content you create depends on who your audience is, what medium best conveys that message. You can't convey the best makeup for a skin type in a white paper. You know, it needs to be visual. It needs to be on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube. So there's the answer. That That's where the depend starts at. It starts with the medium that best fits the communication for your prospects. And along those lines, you mentioned like TikTok. For a while on LinkedIn, there was a lot of talk about, oh, B2B should go on TikTok. And I resisted that mainly because I didn't see my clients being there. And now I noticed no one's talking about it anymore. What's your take on TikTok for B2B? Do you have an opinion on that situation? Yes, I have a strong opinion on that. Um, So yes, B2B should be there, but here's why. In B2B, we we know that people buy from people. They don't buy from brands, they buy from people. So how do you get to know those people? They create content. And when you trust the person and their content, then where they are and what they offer will follow. Mm-hmm. So let's say you're an IT consultant. Do I want to buy from your company? If you're the CEO of an IT company, maybe I want to know the backbone of the company. Are you trustworthy? What kind of leadership do you have? Well, if that leader has content, whether it's content about leadership, content about his moral values, his or her moral values, if you're a technician, do you know your stuff? If it's a smaller company and you want to know, do their programmers really know their stuff? Will there be bugs? Suppose one of the programmers has a, you know, a hit TikTok channel, even a hit TikTok, hit TikTok video. If that one video shows his expertise, right? I have one connection or I'll say friend who she is a electronics engineer. She's an engineer and she may do videos about circuit boards or something, Mm -hmm. but I also know that she volunteers. I also know, you know, some of the things she does in in her life outside of engineering, it makes her very likable. And it means that if she has, if she says, Hey, 
you know, of the top 10 companies you want to work with to, to buy circuit boards for your next device, I'm going to trust her because I know who she is. Long story short, the reason why B2B should be on TikTok is because the individuals in that business need to be likable, need to be trusted, and short-form platforms like TikTok are a, an avenue for us to understand the individuals behind the brands. Yeah. I just wonder how many B2B like CEOs or like I, everyone I talk to that about B2B, a lot of them, most of them tell me, well, you know, I'm on, like I get on TikTok to see what everyone else is doing. And because of what I watch, I end up getting like sciencey type of things because I don't watch any of the dancing videos really or, but I, I am an animal lover. So I get a lot of animal videos and stuff like that, but are they actually going on TikTok? I guess is the question, you know, to find somebody or do they come across it by accident or is it the way the person, maybe if they're doing the TikToks, they put those TikToks on LinkedIn or something. I guess that's one, one way. Well, well, two instances that I've seen happen a lot recently. First of all, TikTok is becoming a search engine. Even Google acknowledged that people are going to TikTok to search, especially for things for consumer goods, like, you know, what restaurant to go to, what clothes to buy. TikTok is a search engine for those things because you want to see them. You want to talk to someone who's experienced it or see someone who's experienced it. And so from a search engine standpoint, if you're talking about a certain thing and people search for it, you want to be, you want to show up. The other thing I've experienced myself personally, where I'm thinking, you know what, these are just you know, my friends and fans who are on TikTok, not the business people who I want to do business with. Well, turns out I don't always know what my friends or fans are do, what they do outside of scrolling TikTok. Yeah. So just last week, someone reached out to me. I just began using TikTok more heavily myself and I'm still not using it heavily, but my team, I've given them the directions like, look, we need more vertical video on YouTube and TikTok. So once we began the first week, someone reached out to me that I haven't spoken to in probably 10 years. I didn't know where their life led them to, but they said, Hey Lee, I didn't know you were doing this thing. I saw you on my, for you on TikTok. Now I know you're doing it. I didn't know who to reach out for, for this type of business. But now that I know that somebody I know does this, I'm coming to you. Phone rings out of the blue. Somebody I haven't spoke to in years wow. that I didn't know could have been a business prospect. So TikTok is already paying off for me. Yeah. So I guess it's like you said, you put out, put it out. You have to know where your people are, where they're looking. And yeah, I'm still not on there, but (laughs) you know, funny thing, I was on TikTok when it was musically and I joined way early on just because Uh I want to know everything that's new. Mm -hmm. And so I joined musically, played with it some, believed in where it was going. Then I quit using it. Now though, it's, it's on par with any other social platform, especially considering the search power that it's, that it's gaining. You have to be on there at least a little bit just from a search standpoint. Yeah, that's something to think about. And you mentioned podcasting, and that's getting to be huge. And I don't know if it's getting, it's, it's been huge for a while. What are the benefits of doing like what you and I do, this podcast, what, you know, for B2B? For B2B, I think the biggest thing is, and this is what, what I, the way I love to describe it is, what if your customers or pro- prospects could be a fly on the wall of executive conversations. Like if I'm going to go, say I'm going to buy, even B2C, if I'm going to go buy an air condition, right? I want to know, I don't know anything about air conditioning, but I want to know the best air condition to buy. If I can hear the top technicians in HVAC have a conversation about what they think they like and what they've experienced, I want to listen because I can learn from that. 
because I know, also know that if I ask someone directly, it may be a bit more biased than if I hear these two people talking to each other, holding each other accountable. Like you and I both understand marketing. We're talking about marketing. We're having a conversation. Someone who listens to this podcast will get to go, wow, I would not have thought to ask that question, mm -hmm. but she asked it and I get to hear both their opinions. So that's the beauty of B2B podcasting is hearing conversations, being able to walk into a meeting invisibly and listen to that conversation. That's, that's powerful. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And it, I think it's also why they have like behind the scenes are really interesting. Like I love behind the scenes of some of the movies that I watch. And I'll I'll do that, especially with the horror movies. I'm a horror movie fan. And it's still, they still scare me, even though I know how they did it. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I've seen Jurassic Park. Those are rubber dinosaurs, but still that scene in the cafeteria gets me every time. <laughs> oh, I love it. It's my favorite one. Out of the, all the movies, that's my favorite one. <laughs> Jurassic Park. Yeah. That Thanks scene in the cafeteria it. with the with the nail tapping. <laughs> And Wild just tap. side note, there's somebody at my gym. I don't know who it is. They have a Jurassic Park Jeep. I don't know where they got it wow. from, but it has like the tire has a Jurassic Park logo. The whole thing, it looks like it came off the movie set. I have to find out That's who that awesome. is because because I want one. I'm sure it's not expensive <laughs> at all, but <laughs> just get it wrapped. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, and how do you measure B2B podcasts? Is there a way to measure? There is a way to measure, and it's not the way that most B2B podcasters do it. And so I'm constantly trying to educate people on how to do it. And so here's the thing. There are metrics that you get that are standard podcast metrics. And the problem with those metrics, such as subscriptions, downloads, those kind of things. If you were to look for where the bar should be for my podcast, how many downloads should I have? The majority of times you'll find statistics that include too broad of an audience in that reference data. It'll be everywhere from the kid who picked up his phone and recorded with Anchor all the way up to Joe Rogan and NPR. Those numbers are it's, it's very wide, right? So if you're a business podcast in the middle, you don't know if it should be 10 or 10 million listens per podcast. So my answer to that is those statistics only matter if your podcast is, a, if, is the business. In other words, if you're doing a podcast and you need advertising, those vanity numbers are good for you. Mm -hmm. If you're doing a podcast and you're selling something directly on the podcast, those numbers matter. Advertisers want to know what are your numbers. Yeah. But for B2B, it's very different. For B2B, the finish line is, did it drive business? So for B2B, your, your statistics, your KPIs should be, am I getting more website traffic? Am I getting more form fills? Am I getting you know more leads? Am I developing relationships with people that I wouldn't otherwise. Those are the things you measure for a B2B podcast. And they're very different from standard podcast statistics. So they're almost indirect. Well, I guess they are indirect. It's not like, because- Well, yeah, it's content I, marketing. Yeah. So you, you measure it like content marketing. No, no one says, well, let's stop blogging because that last blog only got 100 reads. Right. You say- the, all the blog articles we produce are the reason why we have so much web traffic each month, right? It's the cumulative of all those blog articles are driving web traffic to your site. Mm -hmm. And even a blog article published today may not get a backlink for months, but it, it will, or it does. Mm -hmm. So same thing with podcasting, no one podcast, you should not expect it to be transactional. 
It's content mm-hmm. marketing. Content marketing isn't transactional. So you measure based on the same measurements you would use for any other content marketing. And that's, does it help drive business? So it's really the long game. I mean, it's not like you're going to. Absolutely. Post. The long game. Yeah. I've been doing this podcast for a year and a half. And just recently I've seen a, like almost a jump and I don't, I haven't looked into why. I mean, it's good, but I don't know if it's my LinkedIn presence. I'm very active on LinkedIn. I think because I post like there will be a clip of this interview on LinkedIn that will lead back to this. So, you know, but sometimes you don't even know right away where it's coming from, but you just see there's like an uptick in people being consuming your content. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. In terms of that uptick, if you are repurposing your content correctly, the uptick can happen at any time. For example, I may have a podcast that was recorded last September, but that podcast is still generating content. We're still making clips and shorts and TikToks and YouTube shorts and LinkedIn posts. We've seen spikes in podcast listenership for podcasts that are months old because that particular piece of repurposed content caused a spike. We also do articles from the podcast. So if there's one particular point that we make during a conversation, that one point could spark an article. Mm -hmm. And then within that article on our website, we include the snippet from the podcast and also a form on the side that says, you want to hear more? You want to know about our next podcast? Subscribe here. So we may get leads from it. And this could happen months after the original audio or video was published. That's interesting. Yeah. I just finished reading a book, Contagious. I forget. Jonah Berger, I think is the author. I've heard of it. I don't know if I read it. There's one and there's there's a new one too that is out, Magic Words. I highly recommend those. Really interesting. But he, in one of the stories he tells is how sometimes you don't even know why sales or something have increased. And the example he gave that stu- st- stayed with me because it was so odd is when Mars, when we first started sending like the robots to Mars and there was all this talk in the news about Mars, the sales of Mars bars increased. Like- <laughs> And they they attributed that because and obviously there was no connection to a candy bar to, you know, to the Mars exploration, but things like that will sometimes trigger sales. And he gave a bunch of other yeah. examples. I thought that was so funny. He said they couldn't figure out the connection. It was because of all the talk about Mars. I think probably it's like a subliminal thing. People are like, Mars, Mars. Oh, I, I have an urge for candy. How about a Mars bar? <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. And, and, you know, if you think about that same scenario in terms of your podcast, of all the people you you interview, you never know when one of them may have that Mars moment when they have all the publicity. And when they search for that person, your podcast comes up. Exactly. Yeah. Because I was looking for where you'd been interviewed and I saw a couple of them pop up. I'd never listened to those uh, those particular podcasts. There's so many of them out there, you know, and I, so I was listening to one of them and, um, and that I might go back and see what else this person has. You know, I don't know. So it's yeah. interesting. You know, a person drops a new book or they do something in the news or whatever. And next thing you know, your podcast that you had with them months or years ago sees a spike. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, if there's like a couple of tips that you would give or just what do you think is the the biggest takeaways from our discussion? What What do you want people to walk away remembering from this conversation? Well, first of all, B2B podcasting is different. Your measurement is different. Your purpose for doing it is different. Even your quality of how you produce it should be different as well. So that's one thing. And then also 
podcasting, whether it be B2B or B2C, is content marketing. And so you have to market the content once you create it. You can't create it and just say, hey, I put this one episode out into the world or this episode and then think it's going to do something on its own. It's like a beautiful car in your driveway. If it's just sitting there and no one's driving it, it may be beautiful, but it's just sitting there. It was designed to be driven. So you need to take it somewhere. So when you release that podcast or that video or that blog article, you have to drive it in order for anybody to see it. Yeah, that's a great point. And that's the hard part, but it's also what matters. So, (laughs) well, this has been awesome. Yeah. So where can people find you and, and your company? Yeah, so you can find me at aleejudge.com. And then my company is called Content Monster, M-O-N-S-T-A, contentmonster.com. And I'd love to connect connect with you on LinkedIn. Uh, there's also A. Lee Judge. And so uh, that's where you can find me. That's awesome. Well, thank you again for your time. This has been great. I appreciate it. Thank you, Linda. Thanks for having me. That wraps up today's episode. I hope you found it as fun to listen to as it was for me to record. If you enjoyed it, please leave a review and be sure to subscribe. And for additional info, visit my website at thecopyworks.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.